Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Moses said to all Israel, the word the Lord commanded him, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity, blessings and curses. Our choices in word and action have consequences. They are leading us on the road to life or death, blessings or curses, not because in the pantheon of the gods in either Roman or Greek mythology, the gods are ready to smite us down with a thunderbolt from the sky, but because we have free will, and therefore we can choose that which leads to death and that which leads to life. There's an old African-American saying that goes, God votes for you, the devil votes against you, you break the tie. We've been given free will. Uh, It's said much about in, in our current culture, well, it comes naturally to me, and if it comes naturally to me, Um, then it's good for me. Uh, Whatever I feel is good, the feeling part of that, then it must be good. Um, But the error of that is, is that if what comes naturally to us was always good, we would never have needed a Savior to come and die for us to raise us up and to bring us life. Because oftentimes what comes naturally to us is not that which brings life. But God knows. God perfectly knows what is healthful for us and what is unhealthy for us. So we don't naturally do always what is healthful for us. The collect says it. In our weakness, we can do nothing without you. Give us the help of your grace, that in keeping your commandments, we may please you both in will and deed, and in pleasing God, we have life. Through God's help alone, through the indwelling power of his Holy Spirit, are we able to keep the law so that it moves from its external demands to the internal desire of our hearts. And although that cooperation with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us is at a spiritual and an emotional level, our mind is also active. It is also put in gear, engaged in this journey that we're on. We have to understand with our minds for it to move from here to our heart what is healthful for us, what it is that the Lord requires of us to bring wholeness to us, what it is that leads us on the path of life and not on the path of 
of death. Paul is talking about this when he's going to, when he's uh, writing to the church in Corinth. He says, it's your fleshly understanding still. I'm having to give you baby food still. Walk away from your fleshly understanding into a spiritual understanding so that you can be fed solid food. The one who created us knows better than we can ever know in our natural selves what will bless us. And the psalmist puts it this way, Happy are they who observe his decrees and seek him with all their hearts. Jesus came to perfectly interpret for us that which brings life and helps us to choose to observe it. Well, you can tell that there were a fair number of commandments that the Lord was interpreting to us in today's gospel. Um, I'm sure you don't want to be here all week because it would take that long and more (laughs) to go through each and every one of them. So on this Valentine's Day, I thought we'd go with the one where God really shows how incredibly highly he values marriage. We don't know an awful lot about St. Valentine, by the way. Um, it is thought that he was uh, living in the 3rd century, so in the late 200s, um, after our, our Lord's birth and death. Um, but, um, and that, that was a time of persecution in the church. He was a priest, uh, possibly, with a, probably, or a bishop within the church. And uh, so highly did he value the sacrament of holy matrimony, of Christian marriage, that he would do that um, in secrecy. He would marry uh, couples who wanted to be married in the church under this uh, holy sacrament of of holy matrimony. And um, uh, he was then found out, and he was handed over to the authorities refused to blaspheme and deny Christ, was tortured and then beheaded. Uh, So that's why we have Valentine's Day, is is that this was a man who highly regarded, as does God, um, this sacrament of holy matrimony. Uh, Jesus says uh, later on in Matthew's Gospel to the Pharisees who are attempting to trick him, he says, have you not read? that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. As some of you have been coming along to the uh, Just Ten series, in Christian formation, in the adult Christian formation hour that uh, Jim Sutton's been presenting. Canon J. John is the speaker in those DVDs and he has quite a way with him. He said this about this uh, particular commandment. He said, Eve was not made out of Adam's head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trodden on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him and near his heart to be loved by him. And I think the Book of Common Prayer puts it so beautifully. The bond and covenant of marriage 
was established by God in creation. And our Lord Jesus Christ adorned this manner of life by his presence and first miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. It signifies to us the mystery of the union between Christ and his church. And Holy Scripture commends it to be honored among all people. Note that the word there is covenant, not contract. We're used to contracts in our legal terminology in today's society. Covenant is a very different word. God is invited in. In fact, God is the very foundation of holy matrimony. It is like the old covenant that is made between God and his people and the new covenant that is made between Jesus and his people, a new covenant in his blood. Covenant is a very different word than contract. And it goes on in the Book of Common Prayer, the union of husband and wife in heart, body, and mind is intended by God for their mutual joy, for the help and comfort given one another in prosperity and adversity, and when it is God's will for the procreation of children and their nurture in the knowledge and love of the Lord. Therefore, marriage is not to be entered into unadvisedly or lightly, but reverently deliberately and in accordance with the purposes for which it was instituted by God. In the Old Testament, we see this marriage image of the father of God with the bride Israel. And his heart breaks because of the infidelity of Israel. I was a husband to you, says the Lord. I was a husband to you. And then they use this word in scriptures, you went whoring after other gods. Such is the broken heart of God for the faithlessness of his people because it's a marriage covenant. It's like marriage between a husband and a wife. God is husband to Israel. In fact, the whole of the prophet Isaiah is about this relationship and God's breaking heart when people are faithless and have other idols that are more important than God himself. It's also an image that's used in the New Testament. It's the relationship between Christ and his church. The church is the bride and Christ is the bridegroom. He refers to himself as the bridegroom. In the parables and in Revelation, the church is called the bride of the Lamb. And in Ephesians, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Marriage is about giving. Dr. Robertson McQuilkin is probably not a name many of you know. He was the president of Columbia International University from 1968 to 1990 when he was 57 years old. 
He loved his wife, Muriel. In the 1980s, she started to show signs of Alzheimer's disease. And by 1990, it became clear that she needed full-time care. And so he tendered his resignation to the university. He was loved by the students and the faculty. And the board came to him and said, she's not going to know who you are. She's not going to know that it's you who is tending to her. You can afford to bring in the best caregivers that money can buy. You're needed here. And he replied to them, She might not know who I am, but I know who she is. She's my wife, and I made vows. And he said, I don't have to look after her. I get to look after her. That is my blessing and my privilege. And he did for 14 years until she died in 2004. If marriage is about giving, adultery is about taking. It ruptures relationships. It harms both parties. The book of Proverbs is 31 chapters long and four of them are taken up with adultery and they're probably all synopsized in this one sentence. Whoever commits adultery is an utter fool because they destroy their own soul. Again, Canon J. John puts it this way, adultery starts in the world of the imagination before it plays itself out physically. It is why Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Of course, the same holds true for women. Lust is adultery in the heart. It will eventually consume our thoughts. If stimulated, then fantasy will turn into reality. It's why Jesus says drastic, dramatic action is required. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Of course, I hope you all know um, that he doesn't mean that literally. He's talking hyperbolically. And he does that often when he wants to make a very powerful point. Don't let it go. It is not harmless. It is harmful. What are the drastic actions that need to be taken in today's day? Adult channels on the TV, turn them off. Make sure that you're blocking on the computer all of those sites of pornography. They are all pervasive anymore. Your spam filters have to be really set high. I know, I get them. I, I, I get them. You've got to not follow the link because once you've followed the link, you're on some file somewhere or other in cyberspace. 
We've got to guard ourselves. Jesus says it's dramatic action that needs to take place. Canon J. John again says this, Watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. And yet our natural selves who think that we know if it feels good for us, it must be good, rationalize. Say it's really not going to harm me. But if you separate rationalize, it's rational lies. And lies are of the enemy, the father of all lies. Jesus has shown us exactly what marriage is to be. It's to be about giving. But when there's been a fall, there is always mercy in the turning. Always mercy. How many times in the Old Testament does the Lord forgive Israel? Turn to me, my beloved. Turn and come back to me, my beloved. I forgive you all that is past. If there is a road that is going towards death, the Lord came so that we can go back onto the road towards life. God's mercy always trumps his justice. When we turn, there is forgiveness in him. Always forgiveness when we turn and repent. So what are the ways that we show and receive love? Well, I've just finished reading a book. Um, It's amazing how the Lord puts all of these things in place, isn't it? It's a book that I've been told about many years ago and just never read. And there it was, and so it was time to read it. And it's called The Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. Some of you probably read it and know about it. Um, It's a wonderful book. I encourage you to read it. It's not just for married couples. It's for parents to children. It's for family relationships, sisters, brothers, or friend relationships. Um, And this is a Christian counselor, marriage counselor, who'd spent 12 years counseling couples. And the light went off, and he realized that these couples were coming in, and there was a pattern. The wife would say, he doesn't love me. And the husband would say, but I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Of course I love her. And she's saying, well, he's not showing me, or vice versa. And what he found out, that there are five love languages. There's a love tank that each of us have. And our love tank gets filled differently. So sometimes you'll have a spouse who loves to do acts of service for you. We'll do the laundry for you, we'll vacuum for you, we'll cook meals for you, and um, that's probably their way of receiving love, acts of service. But if your spouse is doing all of those things and your love language is quality time, It just seems like they're busy and not paying any attention to you. 
They think that they're filling up your love tank by doing all of these acts of service and all you're seeing is busyness. If quality time is your love language. And he said people would come in and say, he just never spends any time with me or she just never spends time talking to me. And the spouse will say, but I took you to the movies last week. We had a wonderful meal with those friends. That's not quality time. For the person for whom quality time is their love language, fills their love tank, it means sitting down opposite and having a conversation just one-on-one. So acts of service is one love language. Quality time is another love language. Another love language is words of affirmation. If the wife's love language is acts of service and the husband doesn't know it and she keeps saying, when are you going to mow the lawn? When are you going to paint the room? And he's never getting words of affirmation, he's just getting nagging words. But his love language is words of affirmation. His love tank is at zero all of the time. But her love tank is at zero also because he's not doing the acts of service. And so neither of them think they're loved. And yet they do love each other. They just don't know how to fill the love tank for each other. Acts of service. Quality time. Words of affirmation. Gifts might be a love language. That's not to say you need the diamond ring or the diamond earrings. It can be a feather that's picked up on a walk and just given to your loved one and say, I thought about you. I know, you know, you like to see different colors and different birds. I've picked this up for you. Or a wildflower in the hedgerow or whatever it is. Go to the bookstore and think, oh, I think my wife or my husband might like to read this. And you pick it up. Just small gifts. If receiving gifts is your love language and and your spouse is doing acts of service, your love tanks at empty. So acts of service, quality time, words of affirmation, gifts, And then the last one is physical touch, and all of the men are going, yes. (laughs) But it's not necessarily about going to the bedroom. It's about a rub of the shoulder. It's about a touch on the leg or a hug in the morning. That's what physical touch is about. And if your spouse has not been raised in a family where physical touch happened, that's a language they're going to have to learn because they don't know that language. They've not been shown that language in their family. So how do we show love? Well, these are five ways. Ultimately, though, marriages are imperfect because it's made up of two imperfect people. So we don't ever have perfect marriages in this life. We're not perfectly loved except by the only one who loves perfectly. So whether you're married or you're single, there is one who loves you completely.
perfectly, who woos you, who courts you, who will never stop chasing after you and calling you my beloved, my cherished one, my love. And it's Jesus. And we know that because he went to a cross for you. He gave everything for you because he loves you perfectly. Amen.